Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 1, please. Matthew 16 and Acts chapter 1. Hold your place in Acts 1. And we're going to begin at Matthew 16. And I'm beginning a new study today, a new series. And this series is a prophetic series. This series is to bring a word of God to this particular church called The Rock to instruct us about these next days and weeks and months so that we experience the fullness of the power of God among us. Can you say amen to that? And so this series is called The Unstoppable Spirit-Filled Church. The Unstoppable Spirit-Filled Church. (laughs) Sounds good already, doesn't it? Oh, that wasn't the title I was going to put on it. But that's the title the Lord put on it. The Unstoppable Spirit-Filled Church. And I want to begin here with this verse. And you know this passage is when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, he said, who do men say that I am? They say, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? And old Peter, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I also say to you, and this is what we want to get to in this verse, that you're Peter and on this rock, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. That's what we want to read right now. Let's all read verse 18 together. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We'll read from the New King James Version. If you don't have the New King James, that's all right. But follow along on the screens. But let's read it nice and loud. These are the words of Jesus. And you know when he spoke them, he spoke them as one having authority. So let's also speak them out with authority because they are his words. Everybody together, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, let's read. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The King James says the gates of hell, Hades, is one word that designates a part of hell. A part of hell. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is in the church building business. Amen. Jesus is in the church building business. I will build my church. He's not in the church tearing apart business. He's not in the church dividing business. He's not in the church criticizing business. Amen. Jesus is in the church building business. I will build my church. He takes it personally. He's talking about the worldwide church of the Lord Jesus. I will build my church. And he says, not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. So, oh, we ought to take Note that if we think we can start messing with the church of the Lord, any local church in any part of the world, and get away with it, we're on dangerous ground. We become one who is used by the adversary, unwittingly, not knowing it. And Jesus said, you won't prevail against it. It will steamroll you plow you down, bowl you over. Amen. I will build my church. That's determination. And remember who we're talking about. We're not just talking about somebody. This is the one who came and took the keys of death and Hades, which is mentioned here, Hades, 
And he comes and he says, after he's raised from the dead, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. So what can stand against the building of his church? Nothing. Nothing. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the Lord wants to talk to us about the unstoppable Spirit-filled church. That's his church. Amen. That's the church I want to be a part of, don't you? And I want to be on his side of this thing. I want to be on the building side with him, not on the tearing down side with the devil. I don't want to be the gatekeeper for the gates of hell. Do you? Trying to stop things. I don't want to be the one criticizing, causing division. You know, one of the The Bible says six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And one of them is one who sows discord among brethren. God said, that's not only wrong, it's one of the seven things that I detest. And you know, there are people who do it all the time. Sowing discord, strife, gossiping that causes division between people in church. You just need to know what Jesus is out to do. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So when Jesus builds his church, it's unstoppable. When G, let's say it this way. Because Jesus doesn't just build it overall. He builds parts of the church individually as he's building the whole church. In other words, local churches. Local churches. Thank God for local churches. All over the world. You know, throughout the Bible, in the book of Acts, they planted local churches. Paul told Titus on the island of Crete, make sure to appoint elders in every city on that island. Why? Because there's a church in every city that needs pastors and leaders. Make sure you don't just leave them to themselves. Appoint pastors and leaders. He called them elders. In every city. In every city. See, they were out planting churches. Thank God for local churches that collectively are all part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Jesus is building the church and in the process, he's building local churches. But don't you know that some local churches have availed themselves to be built by him more than others? Come on. Can we be honest here? Some local churches have availed themselves made themselves available to Jesus to build. But there's a temptation to say, I'll build it my way. Let's build it according to the marketing techniques of the world. Let's find out what's working in business and just work those same principles in the church. And I don't know that necessarily some folks have the wrong heart. They're trying to get it built. But I want you to notice, Jesus builds. He knows how he wants to build it. He's already got blueprints. And when Jesus builds it, it's unstoppable. When we build it, it's stoppable. It's fragile. As good as it looks on the outside, but when Jesus builds it, it's unstoppable. When Jesus builds it, no power in hell can stop it. Isn't that right? You remember what he said in Luke 10, 19? Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, not to barely overcome them, to trample them down, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So we know when he says serpents and scorpions, he wasn't just talking about literal serpents and scorpions. He is identifying icons of the demonic realm. Because he says, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I give you the authority. Jesus said, behold, I give you the authority. So Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Part of his building is to give them his authority in Jesus name over all the power of the enemy. So what can stop us if we have all the power of the enemy? What can stop us if we have all authority over all the power of the enemy? 
And he goes on to say, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You remember Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Let me adjust that. They'll throw them out. <laughs> Amen. Kick them right out. In my name, they'll kick out demons. And then he goes on to say, they'll speak with new tongues. Who said that? Who said that? Jesus said that. Who said that? Jesus said that. Some people try to overlook that Jesus said that. I want you to notice what Jesus put together. Authority over Satan and the demonic. And he said, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. Why? Because we're talking about an unstoppable church, but it's an unstoppable spirit-filled church. Amen. Amen. Now, did you find Acts chapter 1? Let's look there, please. Acts chapter 1. And the first chapter of Acts here, at least the first part of the first chapter of Acts, is a story that is redundant. It's also found at the end of Matthew chapter, uh, at the end of Matthew and chapter 28. It's also found in Mark 16. It's also found at the end of Luke. And it, it's when Jesus ascended, the last day he was here on earth, he ascended up into heaven. And he had a conversation. We generally refer to that conversation as the Great Commission. But I want you to notice what Luke mentions here, and, and Luke mentioned it in his gospel too. But I want you to notice here in Acts chapter 1, the fourth verse, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, he commanded them. Notice he didn't suggest. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now somebody said, yeah, why did he have to do that? I mean, where were they going to go? Well, you got to remember his disciples most likely were all from Galilee, up in the north part of Israel. We know for sure Peter, James, and John, along with Andrew. So the three pillars of the early church, Peter, James, and John, they were all part of the, they were from Galilee because they were fishermen up there. Peter and Andrew, brothers, James and John, brothers, were partners together, Luke chapter 5 says, in the fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. That's where they lived up there. If you go to Israel... Then you can visit in Capernaum and they have a house there that is traditionally believed was the house of Peter. And there's reasons behind that. They can't prove it, of course, but there's reasons behind it. So we are pretty sure that most of these guys are from the north. And so that's why normally they'd be headed home. But Jesus said, no, don't leave yet. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father which he said, you've heard from me. For John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem because you're going to receive the promise of the Father. For John baptized with water, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Who said this? Jesus, Jesus did. You know, sometimes people try to relegate these things to, you know, well, one of the apostles got excited about the Holy Spirit and said, no, this is Jesus. And this is Jesus commanding all of the apostles. In fact, all 120 or, and however many were there listening to him talk. Don't dare leave Jerusalem. But wait right here for the promise of the Father, which I've been telling you about. For John baptized with water, but you, oh, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, about seven days later. And so he goes on to say in verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you shall receive power. Let me just tell you something right now. How many of you, I want to I see the hands, okay? And don't raise your hand because everybody else seems to be raising their hand. How many of you really understand that when we're talking about the ministry of the Lord Jesus in any part of this earth, 
that we are in a literal spiritual battle. Raise your hand if you're aware of that. Okay, now listen. Jesus commanded these followers not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, power. Sometimes we get the idea that we can engage in spiritual battle and overcome the enemy without the power that Jesus sent us to overcome the enemy, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God, let me just stop and say, thank God for every church in the world that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled, non-spirit-filled, those with sort of an exciting, contemporary, charismatic worship, those with just old hymns. Thank God for some of those old hymns, but I don't thank God for all of them. Amen. Some of them are so full of unbelief. Amen. Well, it's famous. It's famously doubtful. But some of them are wonderful, full of rich doctrine. And I love them. But whatever style church, whatever culture church, if they're preaching about Jesus and people are finding Jesus, praise God for them. They're our brothers and sisters. They're on our team. We shouldn't criticize them. Is that true? We shouldn't criticize them. We don't pit ourselves against them. No, we're on the same team. We bless them, love them, partner with them all the time. But let me just help you to understand something you may not realize. Most of the largest and most fruitful and powerful churches reaching people like crazy are churches that have stayed in Jerusalem and they're spirit-filled churches. Amen. People don't realize this. Spirit-filled churches all over the world that understand that their power is not in great organization. Their power is not in good marketing. Their strength is not in slick presentations. But their power is the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you recognize that and you value the Holy Spirit, it makes a difference. You know, the largest church in the world, at one point they were about a million members. And now, you know, how, many, how, how large can you grow in a metropolitan city? Last I heard, you can't, not everybody can go to church every Sunday. That's just a known fact in their church. They have to rotate. There's, there's not enough seats. And they have about seven services a day last time I heard. Seven services on Sunday. And you can't come every Sunday. But Dr. Cho, who was the pastor that started that church, he always left a seat available in the church for the Holy Spirit. He said, we must always welcome the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't do the work of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Still today, the largest church in the world by far. One of my spiritual fathers, Bishop David Oyedepo, from Lagos, Nigeria. Full of the Holy Spirit. His church filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> built the largest church sanctuary in the world. Over $200 million debt-free with no foreign support. That's the power of God. In Africa. In Africa. You ought to see the poverty. I've been there. You ought to see the poverty there. In Africa. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Anywhere, anywhere. I heard him talking and he said, 
people would say, well, God's building big churches in America. He's building big churches in other parts of the world, but it can't happen in Africa. He said, and the Lord spoke to me and said, the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. Paul said that in the book of Romans. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And then in Acts, Peter said, chapter 10, but in every nation, whoever fears him is accepted by him. In every nation. And he said that brought strength to my spirit that if God will do it anywhere, he'll do it here. And he began to boldly preach that by the power of the spirit, God would do his work right there. <laughs> and there it is. And so they opened that largest sanctuary, seats 50,000 people. And God filled it up. And I went there and I was able to sit and in his office and talk with him. And we visited, just had a wonderful time as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Him black, me white. Him from Africa, me from America. I mean, two opposite sides of the world, different cultures. And when we, when we got there, it's like we're old friends. Amen. Because we share the same Lord building our church. Amen. And now, last time I heard, they opened a second service and filled it up. And they opened a third service and filled it up. Now they're filling up the fourth service on Sundays. Amen. A year and a half ago, when I heard him give a testimony, he said, last Sunday we served communion to 164,000 people. Well, you got to have some trays, huh? <laughs> That's a lot of ushers. Amen. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Praise God. You know, some people criticize all these guys on TV. Some of them are, man, got to be good. Some people don't like Joel. Relatively young pastor. Last I heard, largest church in America. <laughs> Never even knew he was going to be a pastor. But his dad said, you're supposed to be the pastor. Me? Initially, he said, no, I can't do it. And then the Lord spoke to him. He said, all right, I'll do it. David went over and visited him one day, you know, and, and along with other people. And uh, Joel, you know, Joel Osteen, I'm talking about sharing the story. And he, he just, David said, right in the middle, he just starts crying, saying, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to follow the Lord. You know, he's just crying. You know, what people don't realize, though, is it's not just Joel. Behind Joel is a spirit-filled church praying that his father started many years ago. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And people just look on the outside and they think they know what's happening there. Well, he might say some things. You know, when you get on television, have the largest Christian program in the world on television, no doubt you're going to say some things that make people mad. There's going to be stuff all over the internet. Listen, if you want to live a life with no criticism, do nothing. And that's what you'll be criticized for. Isn't that right? You don't even do anything. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The Lord spoke to me in January 1999 about this church. He said, start a church. And one of the things he said to me is, be ready for more criticism than you ever had in your life. Oh, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That's, that's, that's what I was hoping for, you know. Just put a big target on your chest. Amen. And some criticism may, I mean, it may be warranted. Because sometimes you can miss it. But a lot of it, it's not. It's just flesh and pride and envy. Isn't that right? They did that to Jesus. They envied his crowds, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. The Bible says they envied his, his crowds. They did that with Paul. 
They envied his crowds. I mean, it says it right there in the Bible. They were envious because all the people were coming. And when any, anybody ever sees something that people are coming to, they're going to be envious of it. Whether it's good or bad, they just don't like it. Why? They should all be coming to me. That's pride. That's pride. If you were all that good, they would be. No, really. Isn't that true? No, really. If that's what the Lord's called you to, trust God. Don't try to put somebody else down. Putting out another man's candle never makes your shine brighter. See, we got we to gotta stay on the right side of this thing. Amen. These spirit-filled churches are unstoppable by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is building those churches. And he put the power of the Holy Spirit in them to make them unstoppable. Amen. Amen. All right, I need to keep moving. Stop asking so many questions. So Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. And so we get to chapter 2, and it says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord, unity, in one place, a local church. Somebody said, yeah, yeah, but this is the worldwide church of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, but the start of it was just one church. Amen. They were all with one accord in one place. Well, I'm in unity with the whole body of Christ, just not with this church. Well, this church happens to be a part of the whole body of Christ. So if you're not in unity here, you're not in unity with all of it. Amen. Unity doesn't mean you agree with everything. Well, I don't agree with everything. Well, guess what? We don't agree with you about everything either. That slices both ways, Jack. Amen. Sometimes we just get so cocky and prideful, like we know everything. I don't know everything. Do you know everything? I don't know everything, but I know a few things. And I want to walk in those few things that I do know. Don't you? And so it says here, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of them? All of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began. Who began? All of them began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now look down at verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Hi, how, how did that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm talking about the unstoppable Spirit-filled church. The unstoppable spirit-filled church. Jesus is not even here anymore. He left these knuckleheads. You remember what these guys did? Denied him. Isn't that right? Arguing about who the greatest is. James and John, should we call fire down on them? Jesus, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Oh, Peter rebuking Jesus and Jesus looking at him and saying, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus, it's just me. <laughs> right? These are the same guys. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them, this collected group of spirit-filled believers are unstoppable and 3,000 are added that day. 3,000 are added that day. I look forward to the day when we win 3,000 people in one service. Amen. Don't we have the same Holy Spirit? Or do we have Holy Spirit Junior? No, we've got the same Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? So if we do what they did and stay in one accord in one place, then the Holy Spirit will move in our midst in like manner. Amen. All right, now look at this. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord, notice they're in unity, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord 
added to the church daily those who are being saved. The Lord added to the church daily. I told some pastors that I was teaching yesterday that last year we opened up our baptistry and since that time we've been baptizing after every Sunday service. And you know, the enemy tries to hit your mind and say, you know, you're going to talk like that and baptize after every service. You know, there are going to be days nobody even comes to be baptized. As far as I know, there hadn't been one yet. We're baptized between, I mean, I, I think we've had some Sundays as low as three people, sometimes many as 18 people. Now, this is after the big rush when we first opened, where we had, I think we baptized over 200 people the same day or the same weekend to, just to kick the thing off. And then every week, here they come. Every week, here they come, being baptized. Well, this says they were added to the church daily. So we stepped out in faith. We said, well, let's get going with weekly first. Amen. Let's get going with weekly first. But you know, one day we'll have people born again and baptized daily. Amen. And maybe that might have to happen in pools and everything else. Jacuzzis. Bathtubs. Kiddie pools. Or just yank out the hose. <laughs> And hose them down in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Somebody says it's cold. We'll hook it up to the hot water heater and burn them. <laughs> that's a bad idea. That, that's not anointed. But I look forward to the time we're going to have people every day. Every day. Every day. It will happen in our church. Why? Because that's the way Jesus builds his church. We may start off slower but with the power of the Spirit, we keep picking up steam. And I know it's happening more than weekly now. We're only tracking it weekly. There are people being born again all the time. But we'll come to the place where every day, every day, the Lord's adding. And he didn't say adding to the kingdom. He said adding to the church. We ought to see in our hearts people added to our church every day. Why? Somebody said, are we just about numbers? No, no, no. We're not about numbers. This said people. This said people. But here's something we learned about people. And this, this you kind of learn by having experience in ministry. When you count them, you end up with numbers. We just learned that by experience. When you count the people, you end up with numbers. But it's not about the numbers, it's about the people. Somebody said, well, we shouldn't count them. Well, apparently they did in the book of Acts. Amen. Let me tell you why they count people. Because people count. People count. And I believe, I believe with all of my heart, the enemy has fought churches going after people evangelistically by saying, we shouldn't be in a number. We shouldn't worry about that. Wait, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, go preach the gospel to everybody? Shouldn't we be out for everybody? And Jesus said, you should leave the 99 and go after the one. Well, which one's gone? Bob here? Oh, yeah, he's right away. Who's missing? We don't know because we don't count, bless God. No, 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 you need to keep up. When Jesus said, you leave the 99 and go after the one, somebody knew who the one was. See, you've got to keep up. In the Bible, they kept up. In the Bible, they kept up. Now, we realize you can slip over into pride when you're talking about numbers. And we need to stay away from that. That's what the Bible warns about, the pride, not the numbers. God's not against numbers. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> Isn't that right? God's not against numbers. In the book of Acts, when, when they have a bunch of people get saved and added to the church, they'd count them. They'd count them. And people added to the church daily. So notice, unity and the Holy Spirit go together. Unity and the Holy Spirit go together. Listen to Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2. It is like the precious oil. Everybody say oil. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. Notice this. The beard of Aaron. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a different oil. 
That's not Crisco. Right? That's not sunflower oil. That's not motor oil. That's anointing oil. Because Aaron was the original high priest. And God told Moses, you put this oil on him, this anointing oil on him. And that oil represents the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And so it says, behold how good and pleasant it is, verse 1, for brethren to dwell together in unity. It, what? The brethren in unity is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It goes on the head and it, that oil goes all the way down to the edges of his garments. What does that mean? When there's unity, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit flows all the way from the head, all the way down on every part of the body. When you have a church that's in unity, the anointing of the Holy Spirit spreads to everybody. And everybody's anointed with the Holy Spirit. But when you have disunity, there's a part, little part here and a little part there and a whole bunch. The oil's not flowing. Disunity causes the oil flow to stop. Criticism. People becoming arrogant. Haughty. I know better than other people, so I'm, I'm going to put my opinion in here. Cause disunity. But you don't realize when you begin to do that, the oil stops flowing. But unity... The oil flows. And it goes on to say, verse 3, It is like the dew of Hermon, that's the largest mountain in the north of Israel, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, everybody say there. there. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Where did the Lord command the blessing? In an atmosphere of unity. Yes. You want to know where... The Lord Jesus commands blessing in an atmosphere, in a church of unity. In a church of unity. We thank God for the unity that we've enjoyed over the years. But the Lord is saying, pull it in tighter now. I've got more blessing that needs to come. Pull it in tighter now. You're going to need a higher flow of the anointing of the Holy Spirit for this next run. Amen. How many of you want to be a part of the next flow of the Holy Spirit, of what God's going to do? Amen. Let's tell the Lord, Lord, we receive a greater flow of the Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in unity in Jesus' name. I declare that this must be a church where Jesus commands his blessing. I declare this must be a church where Jesus commands his blessing. Some years ago, the Lord was speaking to me about the importance of unity. It, the um, unity of the Spirit is of greater importance than my opinion, than my preferences, than where I want to park, than where I want to serve. The unity of the Spirit is more important than my convenience. Why? Because with the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here. If I preference and prioritize my conveniences above that, then I feel more comfortable. But if the Holy Spirit's not here, comfort is going to become miserable. Amen? See, so we have to prioritize higher the unity of the Spirit so the oil of the Holy Spirit is flowing in our midst. So it's not about me. It's about him. Jesus is building this church with the power of the Holy Spirit. This must be a place where he commands his blessing. You remember Matthew 8, 18, 19, and 20. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, if you agree, if you agree, it will be done for them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. See, unity, unity, coming together, agreement is where prayers are answered. Sometimes people haven't gotten their prayers answered, but they come into this atmosphere of unity. And all of a sudden, the prayers begin to be answered. It's because this is where the blessing is commanded. This is where the oil is flowing, in unity. God wants every one of our homes to be places of unity where the oil flows. Amen? Can you imagine if we all lived in houses 
where we stopped the strife and we got into unity because we prioritized higher the presence of the Holy Spirit in our homes than we did our own opinions and likes. Got quiet. <laughs> Say amen. amen. <laughs> I know you agree with it. Sometimes all I can hear is, mm. <laughs> So prayer works in an atmosphere of unity. You remember Genesis 11? Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And the Lord said, indeed, verse 6, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. The NIV says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. And they weren't even doing the will of God. But the Bible verifies that because they got into unity, that their vision would not be shortcut. So unity assures our vision regardless of its size. Unity assures our vision. We're coming into unity with the Lord and what He wants. We're coming into unity about the fact that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will make it happen. We're not on our own. Every one of us that do a job, do a ministry, we're not doing that in our own ability. We're doing it with the power of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we expect it to be better than we can do. We expect it to have better results than we could normally obtain. Why? Because we receive power and we overcome the adversary. And everything we put our hand to prospers. What happens when there's disunity? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall, will not stand. Every kingdom, every house, every city, every church divided against itself is brought to desolation. Everyone, everyone. Why? Because the oil has stopped flowing. The Holy Spirit's not working in your midst and you're overcome by the adversary. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer is the enemy's plan. So this is why whenever you see people, whether knowingly or not realizing it, are causing division, they're being used by the devil. They're being used by the devil. And they're on the wrong side and they're going to get plowed over if this is a spirit-filled church. If we're following Jesus, I will build my church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what is it when we get divided? What's division? Well, it could be rebellion. It could just be disunity. could be disagreements. Or it could be just things like different visions. Could be good visions, but they're different visions, but they're out of alignment. They're not what the Lord is saying to this church. And so many of us have come from other places and we say, you know, at our church, we used to do this, this and that and the other. And that may be exactly what the Lord's saying for that church. But that's not this church. We have to be obedient to what the Lord says in our church. There are some things that I like to do that the Lord hasn't asked us to do here. And so I have to put my likes aside. Is that right? And if I have to do it, you have to do it. We all have to do it. We say, Jesus, build this church the way you want it to be. And maybe there's something that I'd like to do that later on it will become part of his plan, but not now. And so I just put it on hold. And we've done that many times. Why? Because he does it. He builds his church. He builds his church. You think about a car. Car's got four wheels. What happens if those four wheels are turned different directions? One's pointed east. One's pointed northwest. One's pointed southwest. What, what happens if they're all going different directions? Well, we'll drive it. Mm, mm, right? You're not going anywhere. And it's frustrating. Say, what's wrong? We've got an engine. We've got a transmission. We've got wheels. Yeah. But if they're not in alignment, all pointed the same direction, 
we get nowhere. And this is what happens in many places where you have people with different visions. It's not necessarily a bad direction. But if we're not all pointed in the same direction, we collectively don't get anywhere. And we have to understand that we have to allow the Lord to give us a wheel alignment. Amen. And speak his vision. And then we align ourselves to his vision and we go down the road. And with the power of the Holy Spirit up under the hood, we're going to get going fast. Amen. We have to be in alignment. I remember in 2004, the Lord spoke to me in June and said, start over. Now, we'd already started over in 2000. He said, start over. And as I prayed about that, he said, cancel all the ministries. Ask all the leaders to stop what they're doing and to get into discipleship themselves. Now, these were some mature people, many of them. The Lord says, start over. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm doing now. Ask them to get involved in this now. This is what I'm doing. You know, if, if I didn't hear the Lord say that, we would have continued to do those ministries forever. But when the Lord speaks, you have to align yourself. And so we aligned ourselves. We got into OSL, everybody, and it exploded. And here we go, thrust forward as a church. And to this day, I do seminars and teach pastors who want to know, how do you do that discipleship? How did that thrust your church? How did that happen? But what I have to explain to them is, we had to be willing to be pruned by the Lord so we could bear more fruit. Many people won't allow themselves to be pruned. No, I want to keep everything. You keep everything, but you can't fit through the door to the next level. Amen. You got to be pruned to get through the door to the next level. And then the Holy Spirit takes you on. And so we have to be aligned. Let me tell you who doesn't want to be aligned. Prideful people. Prideful people. Listen to Proverbs 13, 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. You see pe people that have strife around them? That's pride. You can smell it. That's pride. There's pride in there. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 28, 25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. And there are people that do that. They just criticize. You know, I don't know why they don't just do this. I don't know why they don't just do that. Why we can't do it? You can just hear it. And you just, just, just watch that person and see how much of the power of the Holy Spirit is on their life. Let me tell you how I know. Because the Bible said God resists the proud. It doesn't say he ignores them. It said he actively resists them. But gives grace to the humble. And the more they're resisted, the more they complain and blame it on other people. Pride. Pride. But I like this. God gives grace to the humble. Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher. I didn't understand that for a long time. The Lord opened my eyes to this that the enemy plants in our minds, especially in our day and age where we have information available to us. We're listening to this preacher, that ministry, everything. And so we just feel like we know so much about how things ought to be because we have access to how many options and good ideas that other people are doing. And so now we become the armchair quarterbacks. We're the experts. We know everything. And Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but some people raise themselves above the leaders. And I'm not just talking about the senior pastor. I'm talking about above the ministry leader, above their boss at their business, above anybody that's in authority over them. They know how to do it better than that. It says here, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Listen to this. Jesus said, it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher. I always wondered about that. What do you mean it's enough? What do you mean it's enough? And then the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and said, there's a deception that always comes that said, I don't want to just be like them. I want to be better than them. And somebody, you know, some young people come into the ministry. They, they got that young, immature arrogance about them. Well, I don't just want what this pastor has or that leader. I want what this one has and then this, these characteristics that this other one has and those and those. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit from everybody and then I'm going to be the best. And Jesus said, you've been deceived. 
you've been deceived because you're going to put yourself above everybody else. He said, I planted you in a particular place in the garden because the soil there is exactly what you need for your ministry. I didn't ask you to go everywhere to get the best of everything and to become this genetically modified plant by your own doing. I planted you somewhere under certain leaders because that's, those are the nutrients you need to grow and to be who I've called you to be. Amen? Amen. And so that's why Jesus is combating that deception, deception and saying it is enough to be like your teacher. It is enough. That doesn't mean that the Lord won't do other things. But he's saying you've got to fight that deception that is always critical like you know better and just follow Learn everything they know. Suck them dry with knowledge and wisdom. It wasn't until I became a senior pastor that I understood more of what my senior pastor was trying to tell me when I was his youth pastor. And so when I see him in heaven, I not only hug him and say, good to see you, but also say, oh, by the way, sorry. <laughs> I see it now. But more humility could have seen more back then. Amen. We cut ourselves short. When I was sitting with Bishop Oyedepo in his office, he was sharing that many years before God had connected it with a certain ministry. And it was a certain ministry, and over the years that ministry was very prominent and received criticism like every other ministry. But he said, you know, over the years I saw other big ministries come up and such, and I'd see great things. He said, but God taught me that I need to stay connected where he planted me. Amen. With that ministry. He said, so all these years I stay connected. And because I do, the oil continues to flow from that ministry to my ministry. And we just continue to do the work of the Lord. Now here's a man that's over a couple of hundred thousand people now. And saying, I just had to stick under the leader that God gave me. Because then the oil of the Holy Spirit flowed so I could do my work. See the humility? Sometimes you think the people that are way up there are more prideful. And every once in a while they are. But the greatest among you will be the servant, Jesus said. It takes humility for the Lord to continue to do those things in your life. In your life. Now let me just close with this. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. That oil, that anointing oil, was a fragrant oil that God told Moses to develop. Some, I heard years ago of a certain hotel that had some guests going to a certain, check into a certain room, and they came back down, they said, there, there's a bad smell in that room. And they said, oh, we're sorry about that. So they gave him a different room, went and cleaned the room up and everything, checked another guest in there the next day. And uh, that guest came back and said, there's a bad smell in that room. Oh, we apologize about that. Gave him a different room. And they sent people in to really, you know, clean it all up, make sure it's all just cleaned up. Clean the carpets and everything. And sure enough, the next guest goes in there in the middle of the night. Here they come back. You know, there, there's a foul odor in this room. Something bad. Something bad. And so this hotel couldn't figure out what it was. Turned out, they finally went in, tore the whole thing apart, flipped up the box springs and found out somebody killed somebody in there, shoved the body in the box springs. And it's just in there decomposing. But nobody can see it. Look under the bed, nobody can see it. You know, you walk into certain places, certain churches, and you can just smell the spiritual disunity in that church. It's a spiritual stench. stench. It's, it's of the demonic realm. Disunity. It's got a stench of the demonic. And sometimes you walk in, you don't know what it is. I, I don't, you know, everything looks good on the outside, but there's just something. There's just something here. And people don't want to stay because there's just something. But you know, you walk into other places where Jesus is Lord. 
where Jesus is honored so much that we need to be in unity to honor his presence. We need to be in unity to allow the Holy Spirit to flow. And it may not be the sharpest knives in the drawer. It may not be the most organized. It may not be the most beautiful building. But when people walk in, it's like, oh, oh, this feels good in here. This smells good in here. I'm talking about spiritually. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just walk in, whoo, something about that place. I, I need to come back here. Man, something happens inside when I go there. That's because the oil of the Holy Spirit is flowing. Our church must be a place with the fragrant oil of the Holy Spirit flowing. <laughs> Amen. Oh, we must be a place. We must be a place. There are people out there that are so dirty and so desperate, and they're looking for a place to walk into to be washed and refreshed. May this be the place. May this be a place that honors Jesus. May this be a place that lets him build his church with the power of the Holy Spirit by walking in humility and therefore unity to say we honor you more than ourselves. We value your being here more than I value myself being here. I value your opinions more than I value my opinions. Lord, do your work. Lord, do your work that the world may know you, that the world may find you. Amen. <laughs> this is who we're called to be. An unstoppable, spirit-filled church that does great exploits for the kingdom of God. Extraordinary, uncanny, unreasonable exploits by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we walk in humility and unity, confronting pride at every corner and saying, Lord, your will be done. Not my will. Lord, your will be done. Tonight, as we share simple truths and instructions from the Lord. May we come tonight with a heart of humility. Humility comes. Amen. Takes humility to come, doesn't it? Set some things aside. Lord Jesus, speak to us. If I don't do anything else in my lifetime, may I be a part of a move of God. May I be a part of a move of God. If I don't do anything else, no sports, no hobbies, no pleasures, nothing. If I never had a car, if I never had a house, if I never had a family, Lord, may I be part of a move of God to reach the world. I pray that God deposits a hunger inside of you that says I must be part of a move of God. I must be part of a move of God. So I invite you to come tonight with open hearts, humble hearts, hearts that yearn for the Lord. Because he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. A church that hungers and thirsts. Without a thirst, you're not filled. But if we thirst for him, he will come. Amen. He will come and he will fill us. Tonight will be a time where the Holy Spirit unites our hearts. And paints a vision inside of us. That will set us on course to see the next move of God among us. And it will result, I say it with all confidence, in thousands of people, thousands of people coming to Jesus, being baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit and activated to help us reach thousands more. How do I know? Because God said so. Because God said so.